I'm sick as fuck right now. I got a cold or some shit. This is the first time I've been sick in over a year, and it's been a real bummer. Um, But you know what? I've been kind of chilling. I had a peanut butter sandwich today for lunch, and I also had some pizza-flavored goldfish. I'm a big fan of those. I think that's a, a real sign that when a country is too powerful, we start making food-flavored food, you know, like rib-flavored chips or uh, any of the, the monstrosities. Just take a look at the, the chip aisle and you'll see something, something's wrong. I'm not saying I'm not a fan of those things because I like those things, but it's just pretty freaky. Uh, at the end of December of 2021, I was driving and I had a vertigo attack. Uh, it seemed to come out of nowhere. You know, I was just driving. I was on my way to a friend's house and the road started shifting and tilting and I thought something was wrong with my car. And then I realized, oh shit, something is wrong with me. Uh, And then eventually I went to the doctor to go get checked out not long after that. It was a Wednesday night or something like that. And I went to the doctor and they're like, yeah, you have vertigo. Sorry to hear that. And um, basically it, it put me out of commission of driving and really doing anything for the past six months. Uh, I've gone through a range of many emotions from depression to anger uh, to sadness to hope. Uh, there was one point where I couldn't even drive myself to the gas station two minutes away from my house because I would get sick. Um, I, I, luckily, I haven't puked or anything like that for many of this, but I just haven't felt safe behind the wheel at certain points, which is a big problem. Because, of course, being in Nashville, this is a place that you really have to have a car for. Um, This whole thing has led to me also uh, greatly reducing how active I am musically. Which is, it's a big part of the reason why I left Violent Moons and the Weird Sisters. Because I didn't really feel physical or capable of like being able to physically play gigs because there's been a couple of times I've gone out to play and I I felt really sick after and brought on a vertigo attack. So it's been tough. I had to swallow my pride because I really felt like I was becoming um, a burden and a question mark. You know, I I was scheduled to play a gig with Violet Moons probably back in um, January or February And I ended up having to call out of the gig. I was getting ready to leave, not feeling all that great. And um, I had to call Josh Norfleet and let him know, hey, man, I'm uh, I'm really not feeling good. I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. But luckily, they were able to get someone last minute. But it was a pretty monumental shift for me because I realized, oh, shit, Um, I'm potentially putting my friends in the like the work they're trying to do at risk and it's that that's when I first had the idea of I'm gonna kind of take a little break here so it's been something that's forced me into to new territory I feel like I've really slowed down I'm hunting for a job you know I, I can't drive for Uber and Lyft the way that I used to I also have really struggled some days with getting out of bed just because I felt like shit and I felt like life dealt me this random fucking hand. Um, And after doing some of my own research, going to doctors, all of that, uh, physical therapists figured out it was vestibular neuritis, which is when the nerve between the brain and the inner ear gets inflamed. How that happened, I do not know. So uh, I'm on the mend. I am way better than I was six months ago. It's taken some time 
and it's taken patience, which truthfully I've never really had patience before. Um, for the most part, I haven't missed any episodes of the Poptimist, and honestly, I feel like that made the podcast. I feel like I've been putting out less than than stellar content, uh, and I apologize for that. There's some episodes I'm pretty proud of, but I feel like some of the time I've just kind of been phoning it in, not really paying attention, and I've been out to lunch for the most part. So I don't really know what my life is going to be moving forward. You know, I have some solo music uh, on the back burner right now that I'm getting ready to release. I also have wanted to grow more of a focus on producing. Uh, You know, I think another thing that finally kind of came to a head was I realized I didn't want to, I didn't want to live my life on the road. I've never honestly been a fan of that. And truthfully, I don't even like gigging all that much. It's, it's, yeah, it's fun, but it's always been a take it or leave it thing for me. I really like recording a lot more and being in the studio and helping an artist whether solo, band, whatever, bring their vision to life and kind of walk them down the path of getting it done. So, you know, here's to new beginnings and shedding some old ways. I don't really know what the, uh, what the future holds, but no one does. By the way, how fucked up is it that Roe versus Wade got overturned? You know, I know I'm a straight white guy. I'm not supposed to comment on this shit, but it's it's honestly pretty fucked. Like, I don't think anybody who's making the decision to get an abortion wants to be in that position. I don't think it's it's like a last resort kind of fucking decision. And I feel like a lot of these right-wing, like, Christ-cuck-style Republicans, ever since Trump has gone away, the the Republicans have gone back to being, like, the 2004, uh, let's, let's eat apple pie and watch baseball, like, we love God in America, we're a Christian nation-style Republicanism. And say what you will about Donnie T., uh, that wasn't the kind of Republican he was or the kind of president he was. I guess these hearings have been happening too, all about the January 6th riot, which I frankly don't even give a fuck about. I, I, in general, I don't really like protesters and I don't agree with them. I, I think protesters of both the right and the left are bums who don't have jobs or are just in general losers. Uh, I know that's kind of like a, a hot take and a controversial statement, but I, I've never agreed with with going out and fucking... Like, it was at the Supreme Court. There was people who were there protesting the Supreme Court, and then there was a bunch of fucking counter-protesters like who were pro-life. And I can't fuck with those people either. I think it's, it's loser fucking behavior through and through. I've, I've never felt so strongly about anything that I felt the need to go protest. Like, they could literally be like, yo, we're going to make it illegal for bass players who play P-basses and, and use flat-wound strings uh, to play out in public, and I still wouldn't go out to protest. I, I just don't give a fuck. Like, the American way, I feel like it's just saying, fuck you. You know what I mean? Like, the the fucking Supreme Court, now they're talking about making gay marriage illegal and all this shit, or birth control illegal. It's like, what the fuck is going on right now? You know what I mean? The gas prices are so fucking high. Inflation is at an all-time high. Biden very clearly has dementia, and I feel like most of the time, People just want to choose right or left when it's clearly both sides of the aisle that are the problem. I just don't understand politicians. I don't like them. I'm very disappointed whenever I see people attacking the other side. Um, Because it's like, yeah, it's fucked that abortions are illegal. You know why? Because 
the war on drugs didn't work. All it does is give the black market a rise. And the same thing, like, the, that the liberals don't understand. They, they want to ban fucking guns. Okay, great idea. You know what all that's going to do? It's going to ensure that criminals have guns. The criminals and the police. The two people that you don't want to be the only ones with guns. And, of course, like, the military and shit, too. I just don't think... We're running with so much unchecked power, and Twitter has spilled out, spilled out into the real world. It's real life now. People are mean to each other, dude, and it really fucking bums me out. I don't like it. I, I think people should be able to get abortions and also own AR-15s. But most, like, if you have that view, it breaks people's fucking brains most of the time. They don't, they don't get it. It's like you have to be for one or the other. Well, I'm for both. Like, I don't give a fuck about gay marriage. I don't give a fuck about weed. I don't give a fuck about anything. Just fuck off and leave me alone. Stop harassing. Everybody is harassing each other based over their political beliefs. And it's fine if you have beliefs, but can you please just shut the fuck up about them? Says the guy with the microphone. Anyways, I'm just fucking rambling. I feel like I didn't... I wasn't very articulate today. I'm just out in space because of this fucking cold that I have right now. But here is the new single by Violet Moons that I played bass on called False Prophet. And after that, we're going to throw it back with an old episode with Dr. Vera Tarman, who is a food addiction expert. So here it is.
Okay. And today we have Dr. Vera Tarmit. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for asking me. That's great, Taylor. Yeah, absolutely. So just to start off, can you give your background, who you are and what you do? Okay. So I'm a, an addictions physician uh, that works actually in Toronto, uh, Canada. Um, and I've been working in the field of addiction medicine, just general addiction for, um, I don't know, more than 20 years, 25 years. Um, and I have a personal and professional interest, um, but specific, it's not the institutional interest in, in food addiction or sugar addiction. So I have my own sort of personal campaign to want to talk about it. So I'm always happy to join podcasts like this so I can sort of spread the word about sugar addiction. Um, and I have a book that's called Food Junkies Recovery from Food Addiction. I have a Facebook group and a podcast also, all, all in the uh, aim to uh, spread the word about sugar addiction. So what is sugar addiction and what is food addiction? Is there a difference in the two? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, uh, food addiction is the larger term. And because a lot of people will respond with that idea of, well, you, you have to eat food. So how can you, how can you be addicted to food? Um, we usually use the word sugar addiction because that's almost universal. Almost everybody has a, some element of, uh, you know, a preference for sweets because we're biologically wired to be so. So especially if we're eating processed food, almost everybody to some degree struggles with sugar. You know, they eat a little bit more than they want to. Um, so it, it, it's more palatable to say sugar addiction, but the actual word food addiction means much more because when a person actually becomes addicted, not just, um, likes something a little bit too much, but actually gets to that point because it can happen to that point where a person becomes obsessed about their eating. Uh, and it's not just sugar, then it's, it's flour. It's, it's, you know, some people will say, I don't have a sweet tooth. I have a savory tooth. So they eat too much uh, chips or barbecued, whatever. Uh, and they end up um, uh, struggling with food that's more than sugar. And sometimes it, 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 because it's a sort of continuum and sometimes they can even just struggle with the idea of eating itself. So food addiction comes covers the umbrella of many, many pictures of how it can look, but we start with sugar because that's pretty, pretty well, everyone can relate to that. So with sugar, how did it become so addictive? Because at, at, a, at a certain point in, you know, the history of the Western world, it wasn't commonplace for food to be all kinds of food to be loaded with sugar. How did that happen? Exactly. So, you know, we have the, the processed food industry, which really got its legs up and running sort of post-war, like right after the war. And, you know, if we were eating the foods of 100 years ago, um, we wouldn't have this conversation because or, you know, only with the very rich, the people who could really eat um, uh, uh foods that most people didn't have access to but uh, because because the processed food industry has uh, emerged and it's made foods hugely available and and the uh, foods that are processed um uh so much cheaper there's been this amount of access uh, that it's made what i mean even in my generation we were we were encouraged just to eat uh, you know desserts and stuff on the weekend or for a birthday and stuff like that. You can't really become addicted when that's all you're doing, but when it's every day, three times a day, sometimes instead of food, you know, desserts, the access and the availability um, has been such that things have become addictive. Um, so the processed food industry, what it's done is it's taken normal foods. Like basically if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, uh, you know, what's the bottom line here? If you just eat unprocessed food, you're good. You, you can stop listening. You're good. Um, it's, it's the processed foods because what's that's done is it's taken normal foods that our brains and our bodies have adapted to evolutionary wise. Um, uh, and, and taken the potent stuff out of that and packaged it so that you're getting these super potent products of uh, high sugar, high fat, high salt, um, which is, processed food. I mean, they're doing that because they're trying to compete with each other. Uh, and so then we're essentially eating drug foods. It's essentially what it is because it's not real food anymore. And it's that world that has created this phenomenon of food addiction, which probably didn't exist a hundred years ago. Well, it's interesting you say that. Um, about a year and a half ago, I had on George Collins, who's a, a sex addiction uh, clinician. Right. And he talked about internet porn and basically how it's it's similar to that Same idea yes 
Exactly. Like, like the whole idea of sex addiction now, uh, you know, it's, it's the immediacy of porn and of, of, of hookup sex and stuff like that. Like in the old days, I mean, people say you have to have sex. Yes, you do. And, and it's necessary for survival, but the readiness availability, the speed at which you can get this, uh, that's what's made it uh, addictive. And it's the same with food. It's exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's insane because I, I feel like the modern world is such a great place to live. Like we don't have to worry about getting killed by like a saber toothed tiger or something like that when we leave our house. Yeah. But it's almost like this double edged sword because uh, we we're almost like a, a spoiled children now. You know, yeah. we have access to all this stuff. And again, it's great. I have, I have no judgment for anyone who's struggling with anything. But at a certain point, it's like there's a spiritual aspect I feel like most people are missing now. You know, I'm not a religious person at all myself. But one thing that struck me in your book is you talked about the people who really were able to embrace recovery were ones who added a spiritual component to it. Yeah, that's right. And you know, the, the, the spiritual component is basically just any kind of higher purpose. It doesn't have to be a, a God. It, it, it can even just be, I have the higher purpose of, uh, you know, I'm doing a podcast to educate people. I, I, I want to I finish my school so that I can, you know, be something, contribute to something in society. I want to have a family, just something other than me. Cause, cause addiction is all about me. You know, how do I feed me mm-hmm. and, and we need to have something that we, you know, we're putting out as well. And, uh, it, it when, when we're given everything, it, it's very easy to forget that there's another side of it that we have to give out as well. Yeah. One of the questions that I had, um, is, is there a genetic component to sugar and food addiction? Uh, well, interesting question. Um, we, we, I mean, there's a genetic component to just addiction and where we've seen addiction is with alcohol. Um, you know, we're looking at specifically it's the dopamine two receptors. There's probably more than just that, but that's where a lot of research has been done because that's the sort of dopamine is a sort of addiction neurochemical. Um, and uh, we've seen that uh, alcoholics have a sort of impaired or different dopamine receptor or a different response to um, alcohol and to other drugs. And, and we see that similar type of dopamine receptor with obesity. And, and obesity also didn't exist 100 years ago, not like it does now. Like, yes, there were a few people, but the, the uh, prevalence of which it is now really Really masks the, the uh, uh, basically the sugar industry and the processed food industry, um, and and so I'm guessing that that obesity gene, as it were, the dopamine receptor, is actually a sugar one because it, because people once they stop eating processed foods, a lot of obesity melts away. Like like one of the things that I, I'm assuming we're going to talk about in a while is recovery, uh, how to how to recover. And the first thing we say is don't worry about your weight because that will just take care of itself. You want to worry about the obsession of eating. Um, and that will go away when you stop eating processed food. So it's also... Yeah, there's, there's a genetic piece. There's, there's a mental and emotional factor to this. Yes, absolutely. I, I feel yeah. like that's that's a big part of it, like with any addiction. Like, what are those warning signs? Okay, the warning signs. Well, okay, so um, if we're asking the warning signs basically of addiction, um, you know, when you said it's a physical, well, it's a mental thing. It's it, one of the things that's different about food addiction or sugar addiction as opposed to an eating disorder or, or um, uh, you know, which is like bulimia or binge eating. We see that as a different thing is that we, we say that fundamentally there is actually a physical piece. When I put this particular food into my mouth uh, uh, and, and at a particular amount and frequency, um, I will, I will actually develop uh, a sort of a tolerance. I'll start to develop a, a physical thing that's happening. So physical thing out there, put it into my body and a physical change happens. So there's a physical piece, but what's happening in the brain is mental. It manifests as psychological. And so if you ask, what are the uh, uh, signs? Am I a sugar addict or a food addict? It's actually signs of this physical thing that's already changing in your brain. So that's, anything addiction so we look specifically at food it would be um am i obsessing about my food um I, the, the meal that i'm going to have um am i thinking about it uh even though i'm at work right now or i'm watching tv or i'm walking the dog or something like that and and but i'm thinking about this food and if i can't get it for some reason i'm going to put a lot of effort into getting it 
just like the the alcoholic who um, you know has a bottle of wine at night to sort of chill from the day and go to sleep, if you say to them, you're not going to have that bottle of wine tonight, they're going to like, oh my God, like they'll start to obsess about it and try to make sure that they can have that bottle. Similarly, if I don't get that ice cream that I always have at night, and we're not talking about a little thing, we're talking like a tub of it, um, uh, then uh, I'm going to be uh, driving all over the city to try to find it. So there's a, there's a kind of attach over attachment to the, the food. And if you've got that, that's sort of check one. Um, and then if you uh, find that um, you want a little bit, you say, okay, I'm just going to have a little bit of ice cream, not the whole tub. Um, a little bit just doesn't cut it. You just, you just want more. So do you ever find that you're struggling with the amounts that you say you're only going to have so much because now you're on a diet and um, uh, it, it, it you you end up eating it anyway and then you see promise yourself tomorrow you're going to do it again but you can't you can't manage the amount um uh, and then let's say you decide okay i've just gained 30 pounds or my doctor just said i'm pre-diabetic or i'm diabetic i've got to stop and you find that you can't stop because if you stop then you end up feeling um anxious and you can't sleep and you're irritable basically withdrawal withdrawal um so these are all the checkpoints of addiction uh and then finally um because it just it's a progressive condition like any kind of addiction uh finally you you want to stop and you're stuck in this this hole uh this vice basically of i can't keep using this because i'm diabetic and i'm overweight but i can't not because I don't know how to live a day without my trigger or my whatever treat it is. Uh, and then you, you kind of get stuck in a, there's no win here at all. Um, and somewhere in all of that, we've got this term that's called denial, which is uh, you just lie to yourself. You lie to people. It's not a big deal. I've got it under control. These are all the signs. And, and if we wanted to um, just, I'll just ask you some, some questions because that's sort of the way a doctor would look at it. But if you wanted to, as a layperson, think, you know, do you do you think about food? Have you tried to control it and you can't stop? Um, have you um, lied about how much you've eaten? You know, you say, I eat normal, but actually you don't. Um, have you ever hidden food in case somebody comes over to your house and you don't want to share it? Have you ever stolen food? Here's one. Have you ever thrown food out uh, only to get it later at night? <laughs> All you can think about is that thing that's in the garbage and mm -hmm. maybe it's still retrievable. Um, uh, it, it, it's kind of this kind of over, over the top behavior that you can't stop. That's basically the signs of addiction. What is the pathology of this disease? I assume it's something like with any addiction that goes back to, to childhood, like the first seeds are planted. Is that right? Well, uh, you know, that's so there's the genetic piece that you asked about earlier that, that I do think that there is a genetic piece that, that a person as a child, um, a lot of people who identify as food addicts or sugar addicts will say, yeah, I was the kid who would, you know, late at night um, uh, crawl up and try to get that cookie jar that mom hid somewhere. I, I was the kid that snuck downstairs in the middle of the night and ate. I, I was the one who always wanted three times as much as everybody else. So there, there, there's probably early days, some genetic predisposition to wanting and liking more food or specific foods. Not everybody starts that way, but probably a lot of people do. Um, so that's one, one sort of early thing. And another might be, what if you had another addiction? Like a lot of people will quit smoking only to end up eating. Um, as an addiction doctor, I see all the time people quit alcohol only to eat. And then they get fat, you know, because they're, they're basically trying to change one addiction to another. Um, I've seen people stop cocaine, eat, eat sugar, start gain weight, and they go, oh, my God, I'd rather have the cocaine than, than all this. So then they go back to the cocaine. So uh, you can easily, so basically across addiction, if you have a previous addiction, you're just a walking target for food. No problem. Uh, there's some medications that will predispose you, like a lot of antidepressants, a lot of antipsychotics, and people are more and more people are on these things. They not all of them, but some of them are very um, sugar happy. They make you want to eat sugar, and you wouldn't otherwise. Um, and it, they also make it harder to lose weight because they 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 basically affect the uh, uh, insulin profile. Uh, so those are already three things. Um, and then just access, like we're living in a society where uh, it's, it's super normal to just be eating. You're hungry, you pull out a chocolate bar. That wasn't normal in my day and it wasn't normal certainly 100 years ago. So access to something is another factor. It's, it's true that emotional disturbance um, 
is a factory because it's the idea of comfort eating. This food is comforting. It is. It's always meant to be. Like it's, it just is. Mother's milk, you know, it's just that now it's like super comforting with when it's processed food. Uh, but that's only one. Like there's a lot of people who identify as food addicts that don't have a history of, uh, uh, um, you know, emotional trauma and stuff. That just makes it more likely. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, what was crazy to me too in the, in the book was you talked about how people were getting like gastric surgery. I can't remember what the name of it was. Yeah. And they went from a food addiction to their alcohol intake, just going up and they start drinking. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And they may not even have had a food addiction, but I would say a lot of them did. And that's how they got to their state of obesity. Um, uh, yes, because with, with with gastric surgery, I mean, there's there's different types of gastric surgery, but two of the four, it's it's not just that you're reducing the stomach and making it so you can't stick that much food in, but it's also altering how much you absorb of the food that you eat. So you basically um, just simply can't absorb that. You can't take in as much, and you can't absorb. Um, and uh, but but what you can absorb is stuff that is immediate. So that would be alcohol, because alcohol is liquid. Like when you compete with the, the stomach with a liquid versus a food it'll go for the liquid first and it'll go for the pot first like the sugary um uh, foods that are ice cream the stuff that goes in quickly will get absorbed first so that's why having bariatric surgery is not a real good solution for a food addict um because it gets makes you unable to eat the foods that actually are healthy, like the bulky stuff, the vegetables and stuff like that, and, and helps you absorb the potent stuff that's actually quite dangerous. Um, I would never encourage somebody to get bariatric surgery unless they also look at, at their foods and cut out that stuff. Yeah. Is there a difference um, in how food addiction manifests itself in men and women? Yeah, you know, that's that's a, um, an interesting question. In the field of addiction, one of the things we've seen less so now is that men tend to drink and women tend to eat. So there's always been this favoring of, of, of the female population. Um, you know, they're the ones that bake and cook and are, you know, basically have access to that whole thing. Um, and, and, you know, OA, Overeaters Anonymous, which started in the uh, 60s, started basically with women. Um, but over, over time, because men, of course, are eating the same crap that women are now, along with drinking, and women are drinking more, like that, that gender difference is less, um, and so that men are just as predisposed now. But it tends to be that they um, go for the uh, savory stuff as opposed to the sweet. So women still do all the baking, and men do the chips and the fries and the, uh, uh, um, you know, the barbecued stuff that's got a ton of sugar in it. You know, interesting. Well, I wonder if that has something to do with genetics as well. And like our, our roles, like our roles in the natural world. I I don't know what I'm trying to get at. I don't know if that makes sense to you at all, but is it something like, I think of, is it something primal, you know what I mean? Or is it something social? I, I don't know. That's, I, I actually don't know about that, but maybe it's primal. I don't know. I yeah. think about men go for the meat, you know? And yeah. Yeah. For- the flowery uh, cakey stuff. Um, I, I, I think I, I actually think it's more probably social um, because, but it is true that you see guys and they talk about the burgers and the, and the, and the, you know, the fries and all that kind of stuff. They don't really talk that much about this super, super sweet stuff. Um, but I think it's more social. Yeah. Uh, it, it's super interesting to me too. Um, I think the whole thing with food addiction, like it's, it's one that is, sinister because there's such a social aspect to it oh god yes every culture around the world has its version of two things that's cuisine and music Uh, go to the remote tribal village in the amazon and it could be slugs on a stick and they could be beating drums and that's Uh their version of music and their version of food so food i think of like you think you think about uh like all the general just Western world holidays of like Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, they're all so food-based. 
Yeah. And you know what? Uh, the other thing, just to add to that, is uh, I, I've, I've discovered that in every culture, there's also a sugary and flowery uh, base. Like Italian, it's pasta and bread. Um, thai, it's pad thai. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, in, in, in Germany, it's, it's uh, you know, sh- sh- fried, fried potatoes. Um, there's always something. That, and, and when people go from another country, like, like if I go as a tourist somewhere else, I'm always ordering that stuff. I'm not ordering the real, uh, you know, fish that the Thai eat. I'm eating pad Thai. I'm eating all the flowery, sugary stuff. It's kind of interesting how each, each of the cultures has their own version of this basically addictive food. Well, it, it, even even uh, Japanese, like like the um, uh, sushi, you know, there's little bits of rice. Like you can get good sushi, but you can also get very rice-based stuff that's sweet and that's not good. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're good. Um, I wonder around the world how places differ from, you think, think of like the U.S. or Canada, um, as far as the way that they have this genetically modified food like do they have the same things that we have or is it different there um i'm sorry i don't understand the question so basically what i'm wondering like america is the land of processed food yeah yeah absolutely is it the same in other places in the world or or do they have any kind of um i guess regulations on this kind of a thing right well, yeah, um, I think there were always some cultural uh, reservations about American food, because I think American food, which is basically the processed food industry, is really, you know, what is America? It's, it's basically a land of immigration that, that, that has, except for, of course, the Aboriginal uh, people who own America first, that, that, that applies to Canada as well. So, so it's really a conglomeration of immig- immigrants uh, over the last hundred years um, and who have come to America and then in conjunction with the processed food industry, which has changed all of their cuisine so that Italian food is not in, in Canada, in America is not the same as it is in Italy. But so American food has always been considered the Americanness of it has always been considered, you know, the processed food industry, which is the stuff that I'm calling very uh, toxic and dangerous. But as we see what's happening now um, is that the American food industry has is starting to infiltrate across the world so that those cultural uh, differences like a French cuisine or an Italian cuisine are becoming more and more Americanized <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, and the Chinese. So we see um, people in China who are traditionally quite thin um, now gaining weight according to how much the American, uh, their diet is becoming Americanized. Um, which is not a legislative thing. It's a economics. It's economics. Because it's so cheap probably to, to make this cheap and horrible, crappy food yeah, for and you. And it's also addictive. Like once you start eating that stuff, most people know when they're eating this that they shouldn't be and they're trying to stop, which is already the beginning signs of early addiction. I, I, I don't know anybody who, um, especially now when two-thirds or more of the population are obese, I don't know anybody who's not on a diet or wishes that they could eat better. You know, I'm going to make that reservation that I, or New Year's resolution, rather, that I'm going to uh, get eat better. Like, it's probably a universal desire. It's because they know they shouldn't be eating processed food, but it's already got them. It's already hooked them. It's already addictive. Well, that makes me think of one thing. Um... And this is something I'm curious about. I, I hope this is not an ignorant question. Uh-huh. Uh, I have two ignorant questions. I, I, this, this feels like a safe space. I feel like I can ask you. Go ahead. What is the difference between being overweight and being obese? Is there a difference? Yeah, there is. There, there's um, the, um, the, the official term. There is actually an official term called um, o- o- normal weight, obese, and uh, uh, oh, pardon me, um, overweight, and then obese, and then morbidly obese and severe obesity. Um, and it's based on something called the BMI or the body mass index. And the body mass index is just a measure of height versus weight, and um, it's like a ratio of that. Uh, and then gender is factored in, and age is factored in. But it's basically height and weight. And and it's basically uh, that normal weight is anything from um, twenty 
20 to 25, and then 25 to 30 is overweight, and then anything from 30 plus is obese. And even though we know that weight, I mean, is that fat or is that muscle or like, like it's not a very good indicator. Um, we use it universally, like across the world. It's, it's a term that's used because it's been linked with um, diabetes and heart disease and high cholesterol uh, so that we, even though we know it's not a great term, we use it because if you are in a category of being overweight, you're probably still okay. Um, but if you're in a category of obese, which is 30 plus, the likelihood of getting diabetes and all of these conditions increases exponentially. So it is actually a medical term, but we don't like it. We actually prefer um, using what's called the uh, waist circumference, measure the waist of a person. And uh, you can be uh, big, uh, you know, like on your face and your hips, like, you know, hips. I guess it's the pear shape versus the apple shape. The pear shape is actually significantly more healthy than the apple shape because of the waist, waist circumference. Well, that makes me think of, um, of someone like the rock, you know, the rock, the actor, the former wrestler, uh-huh. he's yeah. huge. Okay. He's yeah. probably like six, three, six, four, and maybe right. weighs 275 pounds yeah. yeah. on the BMI scale. Someone like him might be considered overweight yeah. or obese. Or like but look at him. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. completely jacked and he's in better health and shape than people half his age. Yeah, that's right. So it doesn't count. I think about sumo wrestlers too, right? With those huge legs and they've got a big belly, but it's huge. Leg. And actually it's the huge legs and the muscles with the wrestlers. That's not the problem. It's, it's the, you know, one of the things I always say is, you know, don't focus on the weight. And, and the other is that this is not about fat shaming. So, so if a person is overweight, actually being slightly overweight is probably healthier than being too skinny. Like we're all trying to be skinny. You know, the joke is you can never be too skinny. Well, you absolutely can be. It, it can be dangerous. This is not about fat shaming, but this is about recognizing that there are some types of fat, um, and that's the sugar fat. It's the fat. It's the fat that comes from sugar, not from just eating uh, itself and working out and getting muscle. Uh, it, it's that type of fat that's dangerous, and that's basically belly fat, that apple shape that I'm talking about. And the sumo wrestler does not have the apple shape. They, they're more of a. Well, they got a bit of an apple, but they're most mostly a bear, a, a pear shape, right? Big legs. Yeah. Okay. My second ignorant question. So is anybody that is obese is, are they potentially, are they a food or sugar addict? Um, no, no, you can be a sugar addict. Um, the, the statistics actually show that, um, the, even that if the normal weight population of which there's now only a third to a quarter of the population, by the way, it's becoming quite, I don't want to say rare, but it's not, it's not the norm anymore, but we'll say normal weight population. So the zero, 20 to 25 is maybe, maybe five to 10% of the population, maybe 5% for sure, maybe 10%. In the underweight population, it can go as high as a 15%. It's actually higher than normal weight. So it doesn't have to relate to weight. But when you do look at the obese population, people over uh, 25 or, or uh, 30, on the BMI, the chance of being a food addict is much higher. So it can be as high as, if normal is 10%, it can be as high as 60%. So it, there is a, a likelihood that somebody who's obese is a food addict, but there's still 40% of them that aren't, you know? So it's not a given, but it's a more likelihood, put it that way. And by the way, a lot of people who are super skinny, they are obsessed about food. They're just not telling you. Yeah, no, for sure. And the other thing I think of if someone's like struggling with weight or they're obese, I think of other medical factors that are there too. You know what I mean? Like, is there something medically going on where they, where they gain that weight? Yeah, that's right. For sure that, and often, uh, I don't say it's, it's, well, often it's medication too. Yeah. It's not just, but that's a big one. What is your what was your relationship with food addiction? Cause you talked a little bit about it at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. What is well, kind of I, your own personal experience with it? Yeah. My, my, my story is that, um, you know, like, like so many young women in university, I thought I was fat and, um, I, I did not grow up 
I don't remember. I always liked sugar, like anybody, you know, I liked Halloween. It was super special and I like Christmas, but I don't think I focused. I, I wouldn't say that I was somebody who was born to it like I think some people are um but when I was a teenager or you know my early 20s in university uh you know trying to thinking that I I was the same weight I am now like it's it's crazy but you know that's what we do we especially when we're in our 20s we think we're fat especially women um and now men more so um uh, so I tried to lose weight and, and I would end up super restricting. This is why I hope we can say something about intermittent fasting. Cause I worry Absolutely. about that. Yeah. That, yeah. That phenomenon. I worry about that. So I, I did what, what we would now call intermittent fasting, but I just called it starving myself uh, where I wouldn't eat for a day or two or three, or, or I would eat very little like 600 calories or something like that. And I found that, um, I just thought about food all the time. Like, it was like, when can I, when is that meal? Like when, you know, and then I'd eat whatever it was and I was still hungry. Uh, and, and anyway, the obsession to eat was already there and I was losing weight. Um, and I, at some point I just couldn't stand it anymore. It was like, I got it. I could, I couldn't even study because all I wanted was thinking about was food. Um, and, and this happens when you start, uh, and, I mean, I, I have a, a family history of, uh, of uh, addiction and some prior um, use, you know, drink over drinking, you know, as a teenager. So I think that there was some predisposition to addiction already, but I don't think you need it, put it that way. Um, and, and then when I tried to stop, I just said, you know what, I'm just going to eat and just stop so I can think about something else besides food and or trying to cut my calories, run it off and jog it off and go to the gym and work out another two hours. And if I do this marathon, then that means I, I can work off that pie that I had the other night. Like that's what my thinking was all about. And then, and then uh, I thought I'll just eat. And I found that I did eat and I couldn't stop. Like it just, it wasn't like there was a stop switch. It just, it was like I couldn't stop then I would get so full uh, and then I started to develop which uh, you know in, in those days uh, the, the, the idea of an eating disorder was not as prevalent as it is now but it would now be classified as a bulimic behavior where I ate and threw up and ate and threw up. anyway the obsession didn't go away it just took a slightly different face uh, and it wasn't until I got into the field of addiction um, uh, and and uh saw that there was such a similar behavior between me and the alcoholic or the cocaine or whatever, um, that the penny started to drop. And then I, there was early, early days, this is in the nineties, uh, uh, some research about sugar addiction was starting to emerge. And I latched onto that. Um, and I think what sold me was I decided one day, we can start talking about recovery. I'm going to treat this like a drug. I'm going to just stop it. Like the only way you're going to be able to stop is to stop it. <laughs> um, and uh, after a period of uh, discomfort, which we call withdrawal, the, uh, that all that crazy thinking that had hounded me was gone. It just stopped. It was like quiet. It's like, oh my God, I can actually think about something else. And, and uh, you know, I've continued to this day. Every time I picked up sugar again, because I think, ah, you know, I can have a little bit. Um, I've discovered that, uh, you know, then that obsession would come back. So now I don't want it. I, I, people say, don't you want to have something, you know, it's your birthday. I think, I no, I don't want it because I don't have the craving for it anymore. But I also don't want that crazy obsession, obsessional thinking anymore, that that is just not worth it to me. That's not worth the cake. So when you talk about sugar, are we just purely talking about processed sugar or do you eat yeah. like natural sugars, like yeah, yeah. fruits and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. So that's a good uh, distinction to make. Uh, what, what we're talking about, uh, what I'm talking about is processed food. So that would be refined sugar and added sugar. Um, the sugar that's in apples and vegetables and fruits and, you know, that is fine. Um, now, so if, as long as we eat it in the package that it came in. So if it's an apple, we eat the apple. I, I can make an apple toxic by taking out, I mean, you know, there's, there's little arsenic uh, seeds if i just eat those seeds i can poison myself similarly if i just take the sugary stuff out of the apple um then i've got a a, a a drug it's like corn a corn on the cob fine eat the corn on the cob eat two or three if you if you really have to but what what's happened with uh, um our processed food is that the uh, corn um farmers have taken the 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 fructose corn syrup out of the corn and then put it into a 
thing, a juice that, or a juice or, or pop, Coca-Cola or something like that. Um, and now that's become a drug. So what was normal and was okay, now processed is no longer okay. And that's, that's, it's actually not the sugar, it's the refined process of it. That's, so some people have said, you should just call it processed food addiction. It doesn't roll off the tongue the same way. Well, it, it, I, I actually don't think it's enough either. I still yeah. like food addiction more because at the end stage, because nothing stays the same, even carrots can become addictive. Like really, believe me, like uh, we have a term that in the food addiction world called volume addiction, where people want to feel full, not overly full, but they just, they just can't stand the thought of not being full. And, and uh, uh, that becomes an obsession in and of itself to just eat all the time, that, like the grazer who grazes the whole day. So it, it, it becomes more than just processed food, but it starts with processed food. See? So was that the behavior that you stopped, that you went cold turkey on whenever yeah. you went into recovery? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, all of that stuff. So the whole obsessional thinking and all the all of the uh, uh, behaviors attached to that, and uh, and me now in recovery. Now I'm not advocating this for everybody. I, I think that that really in order to stop, if you have already tried to stop and you haven't been able to stop, my guess and, and like really valiantly tried to stop, um, and you keep slipping, like you're on a perfect keto plan or you're on a perfect plan that's just working, but you keep slipping back, that probably means there's some element of addiction that's already kicked in for you. Um, but if you've been at it for a long time and you know, you're on, it's constantly yo-yo dieting, chances are the addiction is worse. And, and I identify myself as being sort of much later stage because I've been at this for years, just trying to figure this out. And, um, I've made it very, uh, uh, it's, it's like, it's like sex addiction. Um, you, you don't want to stop having sex, but you set parameters around, like it's only so many times, um, a, a day or a week or whatever. You set the parameters ahead of time. Bottom lines. Yeah. Yeah. Bottom lines. And so I have some bottom lines. Like I only eat three meals a day. I don't graze. I never have anything in between. I don't get seduced into thinking, well, I just saw miss a meal. So maybe I'll lose weight. I eat three meals, whether I want to or not. Now you can, you can set a bottom line to make it two meals if you want to do keto and you can't do three meals, but I set the line. I set the amount of food. I actually portion control, which not everybody has to do. I have to do it and I'll decide what food. So I don't eat any processed stuff um, except for like ketchup. Well, no, actually I don't eat ketchup because there's sugar, but mustard or stuff that has been, uh, but it, it doesn't have any refined sugar in it or anything. I think we, we follow a rule of um, uh, if, if it has a label that the sugar shouldn't be in the first four ingredients. And that's usually, that usually works. Interesting. So like one of the people that I really uh, enjoy who live who talk about living like a positive, healthy lifestyle. It's Diamond Dallas Page. Have you ever heard of him before? Um, I've heard of Diamond, so maybe I have. Yeah. Yeah. So Diamond Dallas Page was a professional wrestler in the 90s, and he started oh, DDPY, oh, oh, which yeah. is which is um, Diamond Dallas Page Yoga. But he talks about if anything that comes in a package is a product, it's not food. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. Like if you just avoid, you avoid stuff with the package, you're, you're doing well. You can even say I'll avoid anything that has a label is suspect, but you know, sometimes things now are having labels. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It, the, the, the bottom line to all of this is just avoid processed food and you're going to get out of a lot of the trouble that you're in. Just getting there, that's hard to do. So if someone is wanting to stop, yeah, what is the first step that they should take? The first step that they should take, there's sort of two things they should do. One is get get rid of the sugar, get rid of the processed foods in the house. But even before you do that, get your social, uh, like your bottom lines, get your bottom lines sorted out and get social support for that. Because unlike any other addiction today, like I often equate the difficulty of quitting sugar is like quitting smoking. Like it's, it's, because you do it all the time and it's everywhere, um, or at least it was with cigarettes. So it's, it's, it's a hard one because there's a whole social piece to it. You go out for a smoke or whatever, uh, you go out for dessert. Um, and then there's, then there's the fact that you've been doing it all day. Now, what are you going to do with your hands? Like that whole thing. So you have to get a, like, you really have to lay the stage externally, which means you're going to tell people I'm quitting um, and uh, don't offer it to me. And even if we can, can we get together without the food? And if we do, can you have the sugary stuff over there? So it's not in my face, like get support. Um, and that's, 
the biggest problem because if I want to quit smoking, like I say, it's a similar addiction, but the difference, the big difference is if I quit smoking, people will go good for you, Vera, you quit smoking. And they're not going to offer me a cigarette when I quit for you know six months, but they're going to do that with food. They're going to go, wow, you lost weight. You look, you're not eating, have something. Come on. You can have something. Like the, the lack of support. That's the reason why I want to do podcasts like this and talk in, in general about this is that we need to get that same kind of support and awareness, especially for the vulnerable, uh, that if they want to quit, support them. Don't encourage them to say, don't worry, this is being extreme. So that's the first thing you got to do is get your, your, uh, your, your social support helping. If you're living with a partner who's still going to pig out on their, on their stuff, then um, ha- let them have their own private cupboard somewhere and eat that stuff not in your, like figure out a way so that you can, it's, the alcoholic has to do the same thing. They have to get rid of the friends that they hung out with and, and find new friends, whatever. And change your and, and life. It, it change your life. And then the second thing is, uh, or, or, or equally at the same time is, I'm going to stop. So I should, first of all, I don't know if what all I have to stop, but I know I have to stop sugar, refined sugar. So that means get rid of it. Don't have it in the house. What they say, uh, it's not me who said it, but I love this phrase. If it's in the house, it's in your mouth. <laughs> get rid of it. So basically do a cleanup of the house, get rid of it, throw it out, give it away to somebody. I don't care. Don't have it in the house because you're going to have a weak moment. It might be at two in the morning. It might be after a bad day and you're just going to say, screw it, pull open the fridge. And, and, you know, instead of popping open a beer, you're going to open up a can of something and, or a bag of something. And then you're back and you're going to hate yourself. And that whole cycle continues. So having support with the people that are around you, And also removing it out of your direct line of sight are the two biggest key factors in this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course stopping it, like, like stopping. Yeah. Yeah. And and some people will say, you know, can you have to do it cold Turkey or can you do it slowly? Um, That in itself is an individual choice. Some people will say, okay, I'm going to stop with the pot first. Um, By the way, if you're a drinker or a pot smoker, I'm going to say you're at a disadvantage because uh, first of all, pot makes you want to eat and it's all the crap. Um, So I would say if you're very serious and you will be, if you're at the extreme end, it's like, I can't stand my life anymore. It's not worth the pot. It's not worth the one or two drinks. Um, I'm going to say you have to stop that too, because, because there are gateways to eating, you know, um, that you're just, you're just going to undermine yourself. So anyway, you're going to probably want to stop those things and, and stop sugar. And, and so you might be with the pot first, and then you might say sugar in the coffee. And then eventually you might say, okay, I got to get rid of the condiments, like the, the, um, uh, yogurt with uh, sugar in it. I've got to get rid of basically more processed stuff that has sugar in it. Um, which might mean when you go to a Thai restaurant, which has a lot of sugar in it, even, even, um, I mean, the the Americanized Thai stuff, you might have to actually say, I want something. What have I, what have you got here that doesn't have any sugar in it? Um, so being more clean as it were. Uh, and if, if that works, then that's good. That's as far as you need to go. Um, so some people do, uh, sort of cold Turkey stop right away, or they'll do it over the course of a month to three months. Yeah. I I feel like something like recovery, that's such an individual process um, because all of your uh, demons, so to speak, your, your mental and emotional demons start to come to the surface. And whenever those come to the surface, you are wanting to run straight back to whatever your drug is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. So um, one of the questions I have for you uh, about food addiction in general is why is this such a taboo topic because i feel like it's one that's that's fairly taboo yeah well i think part of it is that it's so socially ingrained that people are going to immediately say that you're over the top and you're over restrictive and you're kind of stupid um uh, to, to do something like this how can you stop eating and, and part of that is because sugar has been refined sugar candy, you know, uh, all this stuff has been so normalized. Like I want to eat normal, even the eating disorder industry, which is, you know, people who are struggling with binge eating and bulimia, um, are encouraged to still eat sugar because they don't want you to be out of the norm of society without recognizing that 
that norm is actually very toxic. It's, it's like nor- the norm was smoking cigarettes. Doctors smoke cigarettes in the 70s and the 60s. Pregnant woman uh, smokes yeah. cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so to, to quit smoking was very abnormal and it was quite normal. So we have to sort of, it, it's become so normalized. So just to, you're going to step out of a normal thing. And then not only that, but um, uh, it's it's been equated with love and with gifts like Valentine's Day. You yeah, know, yeah. Give you a box of some, and there I am saying, no, I want to give you something else. Halloween, you know, the the, the family that gives the uh, pencils and the non-sugary stuff was the detested house on the block. We don't go there; they don't give anything good. Uh, so so we're fighting that, um, and so the, the social aspect of it makes it very very difficult. Uh, and then I guess there's a there is something primal about eating. And if I say I have a food addiction, I'm telling you right from the get-go, it's, to me, it's almost like a sexual thing. Like how, how, how open do I want to be with you um, to tell you about this private relationship I, I have with food yes. where I'll, I'll eat with my hands, where I, in public I eat with a fork. Like there's, there's something about it that's, that's mine and it's primal. And, and uh, if I tell you I have a problem, then all of a sudden people have the story of, well, what, what does she do? You know? And, Anyway, there's, there's, I find that there's an element, and I'm sure that the sex thing is the same, that there's, there's an element of, uh, of, a, of a privacy that you want to keep out of that. Unlike alcohol, where there's a, a level of, uh, if a person's an alcoholic, there's still a bit of a mystique around it. And then there's a real sense of pride when a person stops drinking. We don't really see that with food. It doesn't have that same uh, mystique. <laughs> well, no. I- I have a question just based off you kind of mentioning that stuff too, because I feel like now there's this whole thing with um, like the body positivity movement. What do you think? What do you think about that? And what role does that play in food addiction? Well, you know, okay. So the body positivity, I get that. So, you know, because we have a population now that's two thirds more, at least overweight, um, uh, which means that a lot of people are hating themselves because they, they, uh, you know, even though the, the predominant portion of the population is now overweight, we still have this expectation that good looking is thin. Uh, you know, you can never be too thin as it were. Uh, so there's a lot of people hating themselves and, and, and that does not work. It just does not work. Um, uh, the, the focus because then you're going to start to diet and you're going to do all sorts of extreme things like intermittent fasting and stuff. Um, and, and you, and, um, it's going to get you into more trouble and and doctors have often seen like they will also, they're on, on board a lot of them with this body positivity, which in its essence, I think is fine. Um, that you just love your body no matter where you are, but that doesn't mean you have to stay where you are. And, but a lot of doctors will say, I'm not even going to suggest weight loss because first of all, the person will feel shame. And then second of all, they'll lose it and only to gain back more because that's what ends up happening you just lose it to gain back more um and and uh so so let's just stay away from that subject and body positivity kind of allows for that somebody uh mentioned uh i i heard in a podcast that i did and i love this they talked about body neutrality i like that concept much better uh just be neutral wherever you are with your body like it where it is but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's that you're okay with being um, overweight because it does have health consequences, um, but you don't have to hate yourself. Just be neutral about it and instead focus on eating well, and then everything else will just take care of itself, which, which I'd like to talk about, which is the, that concept of if you want to get away from sugar addiction and obesity, the best thing to do is stop worrying about the weight and look at your food. Don't bother with the gym except that, uh, to, to still keep limber, but do not try to uh, use the gym to lose weight. Forget about weight. It's, it's all about uh, food first and then exercise when uh, your body can handle the exercise. Okay. I've got one more question for you today. Yeah, sure. So, of course, the weight loss industry is a oh. huge thing. It is yeah. gigantic. Uh, yeah. I see videos on YouTube all day long where they're like, oh, do this, lose this, eat this. Um, people claiming that they're doctors and they have the magic cure. Yeah. So with anything related to food, diet, and exercise, how do you know if it's a legit resource? Uh, well, if it's a legit resource, I guess you have to look, first of all, what are their credentials and where are they getting their information? But I, I, I'm going to say that uh, just at the outset that um, – uh, you don't need to buy anything or do anything um, 
uh, in terms of exercise or, or doing some kind of a thing, a procedure of some sort, or take a medication or a supplement to get a normal weight. You just need to stop eating. I, I mean, I, I have no uh, people supporting me, like financial supports, because I have nothing to sell. I'm not even selling um, uh, an exercise or a food plan specifically. I'm just saying if, if, if we stop doing what's making us obese and crazy, obsessed in our mind, then it will regulate it. It will self-regulate itself. And then the goal is just to stay stopped. Um, I, I don't need to have all of these gimmicks. I just stop eating sugar. And then like myself, I spend a lot of time and support in maintaining that stop. In other words, abstinence, that's what we call it. Um, and then uh, I, I, everything else takes care of itself. I, I'm not on any medication. I'm not doing particularly strange exercises. I walk a lot because that's what I like to do. Um, there's, uh, there's nothing to sell. So the moment somebody's trying to sell something, I'm already a little bit suspicious. I, I, I do support food coaches and food um, supports. Um, I do support that, but they're not selling something. They're, they're, except other than their support and their wisdom to help you stay abstinent, basically. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. You've been an amazing guest. I've learned a ton Oh, thank um, you. Where can people find you at? How can they find everything about you and kind of the things you talk about? Okay. So, um, first of all, please get my book because it has a lot of this stuff in food it. Food junkies. The, yeah. Food junkies recovery from food addiction on Amazon or, or wherever. Um, uh, I have a, a webpage that's called, uh, um, addictionsunplugged.com. I have a YouTube channel that's just Vera Tarman that has all sorts of uh, videos and interviews and podcasts and stuff. Um, I have a Facebook group, um, that's called I'm sweet enough, sugar free for life. And it's a free group. So if you want to quit, join the group, please. Um, it's very active. Lots of people helping each other. Um, and finally, I also have a podcast that's called Food Junkies Podcast. And we interview um, all sorts of people who are either in food addiction, working with it, or um, in the food industry that help us with it. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this today. Yeah. Thank you, Taylor. You got it. 